Welcome back to the Coffee Clats crew. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And I'm Ryan Gemmel, back again. <laughs> and today we are reviewing Mr. Robot episode 1.9, or episode 10. Yeah, that's confusing. Confuses a lot of people, Yeah, the the numbering of the episodes. That's because they're, you know, they're crazy. Yeah, they they're don't know crazy, crazy. Starts at zero. Season finale. Season finally. Otherwise known as. Finale. The long-awaited season finale. Yeah, but before we get into talking about episode 10 to normal people, (laughs) I have some notes about the show in general. Mr. Robot averaged... 1.9. Sorry. Thank you. Mr. Robot averaged 2.9 million viewers. Um, Million. Malik calls the season finale a compilation of some of our favorite moments of the entire season rolled into one big bang send-off. And Slater says it was the most fun of all the episodes, even though filming included scary elements and shooting in a particular location he was nervous about. He adds that he really didn't know what's going to happen next season. Times Square is probably talking about. They're still not hitting those Walking Dead numbers, though. I'm very disappointed. It's USA, though. It's probably hitting <laughs> the highest USA's ever Yeah, had. that's big for yeah. a new show right. and on USA. Well, they're going a whole new direction with this, this show. By the way, realize we've been saying Rami's name wrong. We've been saying Rami. Yeah, we've been saying Rami Malik instead of Rami Malik. Yeah. Sorry. I don't and know if I'll be able to fix that. <laughs> I know. We'll do our best. And I found that out by listening to the Nerdist podcast. Uh, Christian Slater and Rami were on it. And, Maybe uh, he's saying it wrong. Maybe he doesn't know what's on it. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know what's on right. It's true. You can't trust him. No. Oh, and another fun fact. While I was doing the Googs and I was just nerding out on video games, I found out happenstance because uh, um, I don't even have PlayStation 4, but there's a new PlayStation 4 game that came out last week. It's a scary game called Into, Until Dawn. And I actually started reading about it just because the, the main image graphic looked beautiful. It's, the quality is nothing I've ever seen before. Hmm. And um, it's a legit scary movie type game. Yeah, those are popular in- more yeah, there you are. And Rami Malek is in it. Really? He's one of the main characters. And his face, the way they depict his face, it looks just like him. So when I was skimming through the screenshots, I was like, whoa, we know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he plays Josh. Oh, I, you know, I've heard about the, it. Uh, no, nah, <laughs> kind of. I was watching, I think, Jimmy Kimmel. He was, Rami was on Jimmy Kimmel. And once I got to the comments section of the YouTube video, it was all these people saying, Josh, is that, your, is that Josh? And then oh. I, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Pieces so. put together. Now I know. <laughs> Josh's parents own the ski lodge the kids are staying at, and he hopes getting the gang together on the first anniversary of a horrible tragedy will bring him and the group some closure. Also a chance for everyone to wear plaid. <laughs> so, listeners, if you get a chance, just look up Until Dawn trailer. They have a few trailers, but uh, you'll be amazed at how good the quality of this game is. I wish it was on uh, Xbox One. You can use all of this podcast money to get a PS4, though, right? What money? (laughs) Josh, 
No hot water's kind of major <coughs> oversight, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you just gotta fire up the boiler. It's in the basement. That's him! So I thought that was really cool. It looks kind of like uh, like the Walking Dead game, where it's like a more storyline game. I don't know what, how interactive the gameplay is. I don't know be. either. Um, I know that if you leave the controller and don't touch it for a while, the camera zooms into their faces, and then if you just tilt the controller, it tilts their face. Oh, that's cool. kind of cool. <laughs> that looks pretty awesome. But I do want to see it. So if you get a chance, check it out, guys. Yeah. I have one more fun fact. Just, let's just call this fun fact time. Did you guys know that robot is Czech for forced labor or servitude? Like a slave. Like a slave? Yeah. No, yeah. I did not. So being like a robot, being a slave to uh, some kind of entity. Yeah. Yeah. We have a translation like that too for robot. Sometimes we, you know, it's, it can like, be used like that. Like, um, I hate the way... I hate the way John always acts around our boss. It's like he turns into a robot or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're like a robot, and like when you're doing this, you have no emotion or. Oh, that too. But no, when that's you not really a slave to, thing yeah. now. Mm. Mm. But when you're actually, I think it's more of a good thing. Like when you're working a thing, you're like a machine. You're, you know, not a robot though. Yeah. You're like a machine. A robot. So speaking of nerding out, I found an article on Wired.com called "Mr. Robot's Toolbox." We talk often about the technology notes for our episodes. This is about the season in general. Some of the things that are used. Number one, deep sound. This is an audio converter tool that Elliot uses to hide all of the files on everyone he's hacked, as well as his own family photos within Wave and Flack audio files. He oh, also... That's, cool. that's like encryption. You're like, they're encrypting it behind. So is the file actually there, do you know? Like, can you play the audio track? I don't know. But I've always kind of wondered how he was doing the thing with the CDs where he hides the information. And we know he was mislabeling, but that there also had to be some kind of encryption element to it. And maybe, yeah, because when in episode nine, I think it's nine or eight, when he goes through that that one CD about himself, they look like audio files. Maybe he right, instead of double clicking it to play it, he right clicked it, put in a password, which brought up a different file. That's pretty sneaky. Yeah, I even said when he pulled it up, what's going on here? Are we about to hear some incriminating evidence? Uh, And it was photos. I was very confused. Apparently, he also uses something called ProtonMail. This is a browser-based email service incorporated in Switzerland. It's end-to-end encryption. So it lets you set expiration dates for your emails after which they self-destruct. Whoa. Hmm. And that's a real thing. Like, you could use that if you were really paranoid about (laughs) people reading your emails, I guess. Sounds like something cheaters would use. (laughs) <laughs> the next one, I have no idea even how to say this. Tastic RFID thief. 
This is a long-range radio frequency identification reader that saves your score on a micro SD card as a text file so you can clone whatever it is later. This is what Elliot used to clone the badge. Right. To like get a into swipe the, card? To get into the... Uh, and the next one, Kali Linux. Backtrack's Linux successor is a version that's specifically built for penetration testing and security auditing. Number five is John the Ripper. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. <laughs> Number five is John the Ripper, a tool that Elliot used in the second episode of the show to crack Tyrell's password. Its primary purpose is to detect weak passwords, but it can crack weak passwords with several thousand or even several million attempts per second. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he was trying to find out some relevant information about people, and then he would use that as a reference point, I guess. Yeah. To crack a password. I thought that was interesting. And the final one, number six, is Social Engineer Toolkit, an open source pen testing framework designed specifically for simulating social engineering attacks, such as phishing, spear phishing, credential harvesting, and more. Hmm. That's basically everything you would find in Elliot's toolbox, quote unquote, that he would use for hacking purposes. Before we dive into episode 10, we got an email in response to episode 9. Um, and Christina, you want to read that? Yeah, this is Joel who's written to us before. In this email, he says, This last episode kind of put my theory in the toilet. I'm leaning towards a more original story now. People are so quick to attach this show to already existing shows and movies, but maybe that's part of the fake out. Sam Esmail wants us guessing and to think this show is a copy or retread of existing shows, when really it's going to end up being something very different and that will make it that much more exciting and unpredictable. After last week, I do think Angela takes the job at Evil Corp and does very well there. Gideon will be out of a job soon because all safe is going under. He'll also work for E Corp because Angela will want to help him because he was always so good to her. This will put a very different spin on the good versus evil dynamic because you have two people who are known to be good working for the company known to be evil. Then you have Tyrell, who is known to be evil, working for F Society, that is known for trying to do some good. If it plays out this way, it will make for very interesting TV. Keep up the great work, guys. Love your show. Oh, awesome. Yeah. He was. Uh, he had some good ideas there. It kind of went his way, kind of didn't go his way at the same yeah. time, I think. But that was Yeah, and good. keep in mind that he wrote this before the episode aired. Yeah, I, I like what he said, that it's turning out to be not completely a rehash of, say, Memento or Fight Club, all the things we were comparing it to before. It's some kind of mixture. It's its its own thing in many ways. And yeah, he was right about Angie taking the job at E-Corp. He was right about Gideon pretty much being out of a job because of Allsafe. And who knows, maybe they will link up in some other way in the future. That's yet to be seen. I still think there's a lot of similarities between his first email and this show, which he was saying that it's uh, kind of like Memento. Yeah, there's, there's, there's inspiration from a yeah. lot of different things. I mean, certainly you continue to see the Fight Club comparisons in there, but he is right in that there's elements, lots of them, yeah. that are completely original. I yeah. love the way Esmel does this. It's kind of like if I was as smart as him and, or, and as talented, I would geek out like that too and kind of celebrate the things I grew up with that I really right. enjoyed in my own mm-hmm. uh, project. Mm-hmm. He's not copying, he's celebrating things and winking at things. And I, I think it's, right. I love it. It adds to the puzzle of listening, of watching Mr. Robot. Well, and that's particularly highlighted in the fact that he wrote and directed episode 10. I know we'll get into that more later. 
you can feel, I think, the difference in the tone, the way that the episode was structured. And you can see his passion for the project. And now we can dive into episode 10, Zero Day. The origin of the title, we always talk about this, in computing, Zero Day is an unknown vulnerability in computer software that can be exploited by outsiders. It gets the name because once it is known, the programmer has no time to fix it. The extension .avi is an audio video file compression format. Because of a series of problems, including its inability to encode data, such as video file aspect ratio, it has largely been replaced by MP4 compression. Mm -hmm. I guess you guys know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, MP3, well, MP4s uh, are used more. It's a better compression. It started when, it really got popular when uh, the iPhone came out, Mm -hmm. and HTML5 can use mp4s to play it and flash is pretty much dead now and there's mm. a few reasons why it's uh it's not a proprietary software so you don't if you're listening to a video on html5 with mp4 you don't have to download anything and okay. constantly update it remember when you always had to update flash yeah right. i still have to do that yeah. on my old computers at work <laughs> and it's also not that safe you always had to update it because people would find vulnerabilities yeah and put viruses within flash files yeah so it's just a lot more safer. Google no longer plays Flash ads it just, or, or Shockwave. Shockwave is going away as well. Yeah, Firefox, uh, they turned off Flash, I think, yep. by default. So you have now to you go have to in and turn it on, it on hmm. if you want it. It's, it's a dead breed. Well, I could speak from the non-tech point of view, but what do you think about the title itself, Zero Day? How do you think that relates to our season finale as a metaphor? I think uh, Zero Day has two things going on, two uh, parallels within that. Okay. One, no one knew that the virus, this virus was going to hit. And right. even all the these... actual, like, use yeah. of it, <laughs> the, the, like, definition of it is how it is happening inside. Yeah. yeah. And even the top minds can't figure out how to fix this. Well, mm-hmm. that's more of the... I mean, yeah, there's no protection, but I think it's more of, like, how CryptoLock was. Except they're deleting the, the key, the key right. to unencrypt it. But it came unwarranted. Yeah. Like, no one knew about it. And then also, it's kind of zero day for Elliot. He woke up, and it's all, in, it's all happening. It all happened. Oh, and he's true. not even yeah. aware that it happened. Yeah. So he didn't even prepare for it. He didn't even make the decision. Who am I? We were left off, except for maybe the last final seconds. We don't know if he made the decision then. But all last episode, he didn't. He was going back and forth. Is this even right? Should we even be doing this? Yeah. So he knew when he was talking to Tyrell that it was in in progress. Yeah, he but he was, was. I he think. Was arguing I think. With yeah, I think there was still this thought, though, that he was in control of it, and if he wanted to press the escape key at the last minute and just shut it all down, he could call it off. And I think a part of him was struggling with maybe he would do that. There was always that option. It, in reality, it was far beyond his control. The wheels were moving, but the complicated struggle he's having with his identity of Elliot versus Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot was the one who felt confident in going forward with it. Now that he's seeing that that is, it's not as separate as he thought the mm-hmm. identity. I don't think he can claim responsibility as much for this anymore. He's not able to. And I'm wondering if that's what happened, if that's why he blacked out, what happened with Tyrell. I don't know. When he comes to, he feels 
certainly a great deal of shock that he wasn't there for the execution as well as the rest of F society. Yeah. I don't know. At the, at the end of the last episode, I feel like he did, he kind of knew, he knew what he was doing, but I mean, he found out that his father was, he was seeing his father projecting him as Mr. Robot and he was making these decisions. He knew it was him and that he, he was telling Tyrell about it as himself, that it was already in progress at the end of the episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of thought like he, he knew what he was going for there and then regressed. And maybe, I guess maybe he wasn't sure about it or. Oh, sure. He's had moments like that throughout the season where he feels very strongly about these convictions. It's the right thing to do. And then he questions it again. Right. Like how confident he was walking into steel mountain that he could Mm -hmm. like social engineer his way in when he was really pretty terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I think this, obviously also relates to a zero day for American society. And I know we're going to get into that a lot more later, but everything is about to change, at least from the public's point of view, from F society's point of view. This is something huge. We also have a couple of music notes for this episode. I'm starting to pick up on it even more now that we've been talking about it regularly on the podcast. It was was always there as a subtle backdrop, something that set the stage and the mood, but it's becoming a lot more evident. We had a wide range in episode 10. The closing song was Alabama Shakes Sound and Color, which accompanied Elliot's new worldview. It was mixed in with interesting things like Old Dirty Bastards Got Your Money, which was playing on the mm-hmm. hacker's dance floor yeah, at the end right. of the world party. It's a great contrast. Then you move over to Shostakovich's Suite for Variety Stage Orchestra, which was memorably used in the opening sequence of Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. There's when was our that comparison. Being used? Um, it Do doesn't actually that? say when it played during the episode. Uh, I'd like to know. Interesting, There's, though, that that comparison is there even with the music. But I really like, uh, I wanted to get more into Alabama Shakes. I like their song, Hold, in, Hold On. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. it was really good, very like Janis Joplin-ish, so I always feel like I, I should have listened to them a little bit more. But uh, I loved, I, yeah, thanks. No, it's over. I can't listen to them now. You can still use your credit card. It's okay. <laughs> no, society is over. You can't buy anything. <clears throat> at least I don't have debt. Another cool thing about Eyes Wide Shut, that last, that extra scene, the bonus scene, Mm -hmm. that house was very similar, if not the same, uh, house that they use in Eyes Wide Shut. So the parallels keep coming. Obviously, you could see these inspiration points for S-Mail. And one last one, you had Time Zone's single world destruction, which was fading in over footage of the global protests. I thought that was very fitting. Yeah, and there was that noise. Remember we kept hearing it, and you were like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, I couldn't even... It was like a turbulent noise. Mm. I couldn't even figure out how to describe it. It was almost it was almost like that sound that fireworks make. What is that firework that makes uh, the... The whizzing? Yeah, whizzer. the whizzing sound. Yeah. It was a little like that. And, and first you had that shrill higher note, and then in came the heavy drum beats oh, okay. underneath that. I... Don't know if this is exactly what he's referring to, but when they did the interview with the guy that does the music and the scoring, we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast, he said that he didn't necessarily go into creating the music with theory Mm -hmm. and concrete things. It was more like a motif for each character, the feeling that he got for them. 
So his opinion of Elliot was that he was essentially at times a good guy who was struggling with this really bad side of himself, these demons. So he incorporated both major and minor notes to reflect those good and evil comparisons within Elliot. The music playing when Elliot is talking with Joanna, I thought really yeah. set the oh, yeah. up there. Very how tense. intense it was. All right, I think I found that sound for you, Chris. Let's see if we can play it. intentional like a part of Elliot all right come out there. yeah come out now. this is why we should do the podcast when we're watching it <laughs> come on it's just so beautiful the way he incorporates all of those notes mixed in together especially at such a pivotal point for Elliot if you watch along this is the scene where he is in Tyrell's truck about midway through the episode and he's looking for the USB yeah, in the, the sunglass mm-hmm. case. And the building up with the minor notes, whatever that whizzing is. And as soon as he finds it, that's when the major note hits. Yeah. And it really resonates, I think, in an emotional way for the viewer. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, while we're talking about emotions, I noticed that there were a lot more commercials in this season <laughs> finale. <laughs> Made you very emotional. It, well... Once we, f- once I was getting an emotional reaction to the show, every time there was some pivotal moment, there was a commercial right after. Right when that guy shoots himself in the head, commercial. And it, it takes you out of it. It does, a- but I think they just wanted to break that scene up. Maybe they, went, they didn't have that right there, but they kind of wanted you to disassociate from that maybe. It, it was been- so intense, especially revolving around why it was delayed. Yeah, but... Maybe if they had it go black for like four seconds, no sound, then Oof, commercial, then that would have been really awesome. really would have reflected on it. That would have been great. <clears throat> I maybe, think I'm, get, I'm getting I used mean. to Netflix. I think that's the issue. This is a little off topic, but speaking of commercials, for those of you who watched Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, 
I heard a rumor, I'm not sure if it's true or not, they made it sound like it's being confirmed that for the next season of Walking Dead, the actual show. That the financial crisis in Robot caused the virus to happen? In- oh, no, that, that, that would be a fun sidetrack to go down. <laughs> Shit, but no, awesome. you know how Walking Dead sometimes has the webisodes that correspond with the season, the little side stories that you can watch online. online. Oh, I've never watched those. I have heard of it. I heard about them. I've heard of them. I haven't been them. able to watch them either. Well, instead of doing that online, they're talking about doing it on the commercial. what would be the commercial breaks. But essentially, there will be no commercials. When they would cut to commercial, they will instead air that side story. So you're going to be switching pretty much from one story to another, the major to the, to the minor. And for that whole block of the episode, there will not be a commercial. Well, now, how are they doing that, though? I, don't they make money? I yeah, have then. no idea. I don't see that happening because that's brought their breadwinner. This that's their section bread. brought to you by Exxon. Um, maybe, but... <laughs> it sounded like it was pretty close to being confirmed, though, that they were at least going to try it. Like maybe every reviews. other episode. Or maybe there'll be a web, uh, maybe a clip and then commercials. I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting thought in talking about society and all the statements that this show makes. Your comment brings me back to we're so flooded and inundated all the time with technology. We can't even stand to have four minutes of commercials. Now, it has gotten worse. I four yell minutes? At, I can't stand like 15 seconds I on yell YouTube. at the TV. There are some <laughs> TV shows actually where there is equal to more time spent on commercials than there is on show. And that's a bit ridiculous, but we really have lost patience and tolerance with things like Netflix. So I think it's it says something that we're headed in a direction where we could potentially have a show that does not have commercials. That's a big deal. It's kind of groundbreaking. I know people that disregard the commercials. They wait to start an episode, maybe a half an hour. Mm-hmm. If it's time and it's on the DVR, they just fast forward through all the commercials because they don't want to watch any of them. Yeah. yeah, We're one of those weird people that still doesn't have a DVR. You need to get one. Hook we it don't up. have you that option. You can hook option. it up to your Xbox One. <laughs> we need to have society to come in. Yes, shake things up for us. No more commercials, no more credit card debt. (laughs) I really like the sounds of that. I mean, they're freaking out that they've killed the world. I think it sounds spectacular. I don't know. We don't know what the other repercussions are yet. I'm sure it's going to be huge. We've already seen that people can't use their credit cards. So it works for the good that they have no debt. But in this day and age, who's walking around carrying cash anymore? I don't. I barely carry cash. I think I had $2 on me today. Yeah. I need to carry cash more often, though. Just in case of yeah. something like this happening. Or getting we don't know. This could be happening right now. You would have no idea. Where's my bag? I need my bag. It has all my papers. I put all of your talking points on these index cards so that you wouldn't have... God damn it, will you please just give me my bag, for Christ's sake? I asked you to keep it close by. I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by it. I was just trying to... Never mind what you meant. Just do as I say. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to snap at you. It's been a long day. And I, I'm not used to all the you know, new faces around here. No problem. Before our synopsis, I just have a note on our episode. All the viewers out there must have realized that the season finale was delayed one week. USA Network delayed the broadcast citing similarities between a scene in the episode and the shooting of a television reporter and cameraman in Virginia earlier on August 26th. 
In its place, they reran the unedited version of episode 1.8 mirroring, beginning with the following statement. The previously filmed season finale of Mr. Robot contains a graphic scene similar in nature to today's tragic events in Virginia. Out of respect for the victims, their families, and colleagues, and our viewers, we are postponing tonight's episode. Our thoughts go out to all those affected during this difficult time. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but there was one frame in this episode, mm-hmm. in episode 10, that had uh, a saying on it. Like a little one-second blip. The preceding story was fictional. No actual person or event was depicted. And it was so quick. It was right when they start the scene with that guy who shoots himself. Yeah, I was referencing that this wasn't on purpose. You know, they filmed this beforehand. They didn't intend for the similarity to occur. It was coincidental, and they're trying to be respectful. Yeah, but it's, it was so quick, you can't read it. Right, it was like yeah. one frame, which I thought was kind of like Fight Club again. Because when they're talking about the switching the camera films, they have mm-hmm. a little burn mark where it happens for one second, and they're saying you don't even realize you see it. Yep. Later on, after you watch the movie, you find out, or if you rewatch it, you find out that they put Tyler in before he meets Ed Norton on the plane. They do one frame flashes of Tyler hmm. in different scenes. See, I thought it was just them trying to not call further attention to I it. I think so you too. Know? I think so too. But I thought that it was. It, that it works on those two yeah, levels. Yeah, absolutely. So, and they put it right over where the bag was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that subconsciously pointed your eye to that part of the screen. Hmm. Although, I mean, I was looking around the scene for a bag when he was screaming about where his bag was. And I'm like, yeah. it's right by your feet. And I don't understand why you're freaking out. Yeah, yeah and we, we all got that feeling, right? Like something had to be going on. It was suspicious that he had to have the bag close to him. And the, the scene, it was pretty graphic. The depiction oh, of very of graphic the for TV, for, <laughs> yeah. for USA, yeah, extremely graphic. There was something very realistic about it that it just happened, and I think that was reflected in on Angie's face when mm-hmm. she saw it. When I saw it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that blood would come out of your nose when you shot yourself in the mm-hmm. head like that. Yeah, it mm-hmm. looked, it was, I don't know. And then I'm like, no, that's this is a show that's probably he didn't do that now, he didn't <laughs> kill himself so. Maybe they still don't, or maybe they do. I don't know, but it made me think about what actually happens when it, physically. Yeah. I'll show you, but you won't know because oh. I'll show it on you. But I won't see it if you show me. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do think we have to be careful with, we as an everyone, every Mr. Robot fan, is we could fall into the same kind of clutches that, it, that happened with True Detective Season 1, where... The show is so smart and there's so many little intricate things that even things that aren't meant to mean something, everyone finds a storyline or something, some reason for everything. Yeah, I commented on that in one of our prior episodes, but I I said I felt like this could actually be maybe the first show where it's intentional and that is really happening, that there's meaning behind not, not that it's thing. like a gigantic mystery and we have to go looking for all these crazy, but I think there are multiple levels to a lot of what they do and a lot of it is intentional and, and meant to be sort of smart and provoking us to think on a deeper level about things. Oh, yeah, I agree, definitely. but it's different from True Detective. True Detective, we were still, we were still going on about the mystery of what was actually, what the cult was about, what this mysterious... Yellow King force was. Mm-hmm. So 
It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it, we were trying. We were still trying to figure things out. And uh, in this, I don't really. I don't see a parallel for that mystical force. I mean, other than Elliot's psyche and how things uh, are, are working with him, I, yeah. I see that. But I feel like it was supposed to be in True Detective. The whole culture, everyone's feeling it was affecting everyone. Black stars and all over the place. I was getting in deep where the daughter she grew up and she became a painter, and then she was showing one of her paintings, and the camera just pans by really quickly. But in the painting, there were black stars on the painting. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was definitely caught up in in everything in True Detective, going in deep. But I don't feel like it's. I feel like it's different. See, yeah, I think that is happening here just on a different level. It's not mystical and it's not murder mystery, but it is psychological. It is this mystery the entire season that we've been wondering who is Mr. Robot and what is Elliot's psyche made up of, who is real and what is real out of what we're seeing on the show. What kind of statements are they making about society, double meanings even within the music they're playing in the background. So... There is certain elements of that figure it out in a very smart way happening here. But I think we're getting answers to those questions. So yeah. it's it's different in True Detective. Mm-hmm. We were left and from episode seven into episode eight, everybody was talking to the director, not the director, the creator, Nick, and asking him you know, what was going to happen. And he was kept pushing this thing that there's not going to be a big twist. He was trying to kind of prepare people for that. Not everything's really going to be answered. And Mm -hmm. I feel like in true detective that we're getting more of the answers that we're looking for to the, to these mysteries. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hey, it's me, your subconscious father. You will fall. Just telling you to rate and review the coffee class crew podcast on iTunes. You will fall. Give us a four star rating. Give us a comment. You will fall. Hook us up. You need to do this. Your life depends on it. You will fall. Everything is dangling from a window. If you don't rate us, you will fall. You will fall. You will fall. Now jumping into our summary, the synopsis for the episode, we're going to go scene by scene. Our first takes place in some kind of wine bar where we see Kristen and her boyfriend. His name is Michael Hansen, by the way. Kristen meets the man she has been having the affair with. He tells her he was hacked by Elliot, that his dog was microchipped, and that's how Elliot got the trace on it. The wife found out about the affair, and she's in the process of divorcing him. He can't see his daughter, and the bottom line is that he wants help catching Elliot. He's asking Krista for her help. He needs evidence, basically, to go anywhere with it. And she tells him that she can't help him. I thought that scene dragged a little bit long. I liked it. And yeah, you were saying you really liked it, but what's, how does this mix into the main storyline? Like what, unless in season two, they really dive into it where he's being hunted by this guy. But I, I think it could uh, tie in with the, the storyline because they talk about the dog and that he had the chip in him. Right. And also that, I don't I never saw any callback to this, but that the dog ate a piece of flash, you know, RAM memory that he broke off off the chip. So I never saw any callback to that. They said he would pass it out. And that's maybe they're just using it as an excuse to take him to the vet to say that he had the chip in, in him. Cause the, the vet asks if he's been chipped and he's, and you know, Elliot's like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I guess maybe for that reason, but 
maybe if the dog hadn't passed that, or I guess he would get sick if he hadn't passed that yet. But if they could use that against him for some of his hackings, he'd get into trouble. Also, this guy could just be after him. See, yeah, I didn't. I thought it was dragging at first in the beginning as well when I thought it was relating to the storyline somehow, like you guys are saying. In thinking back on it now, I don't like it, but it makes more sense that I think this guy, Michael, is forcing us as the audience to start viewing Elliot differently. He's highlighting and really, you know, kind of putting it in our face that Elliot is a bad guy. That he's yeah, not a Michael's good guy. A Look at guy. all or these things. Lenny, as is his real name. Yeah, he he is absolutely, and we know that you know Elliot often uses these perhaps unsavory means as some sort of vigilante type justice. But even throughout the episode, Elliot is questioning himself. I think in his own integrity and in his own goodness, and I think they. We're trying to put that in your face by opening the episode with this. All right, so you guys are saying like maybe that was to show the viewers that he's not a good guy, mm-hmm. Elliot? Uh, to make you question that, yeah, to yeah. to look at it differently for the first time, maybe. Because we've been seeing it from his point of view as he's doing good. Mm-hmm. And again, like we brought up uh, in the last episode, that's exactly what his father told him, though. Like he asked his father, why am I not in trouble? And he says, even though you did what you did was wrong, you're still a good kid. That guy was a prick. Sometimes that matters more. So again, he might be implying that around all the things that he's doing in life that is quote-unquote bad. But I, right. I see this other guy as more of a, of, of a bad guy. Yeah, I agree. He can't let go. It was his fault that he fucked everything up. Yeah, every, he, can't, he, can't, he can't own his own mistakes. Yeah. So. Own it, bro. Well, yeah, and I, I think that's you're meant to to think that to a certain extent that the ends justify the means. So Elliot's working for a good cause, and thus maybe it doesn't really matter how he gets there. But by the end of this episode, I think you are left questioning that. That look at the potential destruction he has caused, and and is this really a good thing that he's doing? And maybe that's why he's been fighting himself so hard and questioning Darlene. Is this right? Should we go through with this? You know what they say about the road to hell, Ryan. Paved with good intentions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a good example of, of, I think the reason they're using Krista for this is it brings us back to what he did to her. And sure, he meant to bear his soul to her. He meant to kind of forge this different connection and show her that he could relate and whatever else. But she is never going to forget the things that he said to her and how he crossed that boundary and how he went about retrieving that information and the bottom line is that just wasn't okay and she likes anal <laughs> right That's, well there important. you go that was very important. put that out there to the world <laughs> any correlation between them using his name as lenny and lenny from of mice and men you know, oh, that I this didn't guy's see that. really a big big dummy no, <laughs> I don't I didn't know. See that. I, I, yeah, I, this is what I mean. I this is what I mean, like <laughs> by seeing a correlation in everything. Yeah, right. Because it might not be. No, but I, but that's I realize fun. that. But that's the only other like Lenny. When I think of that name, that's really yeah. what I think of. <laughs> that's funny. Well, then we follow Lenny slash Michael slash whatever his name is back to his house, where we see him watching news of the global hack causes international fallout. Quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It's it's beginning to break on media everywhere. It's happened. I love that. I love that scene because he goes back to his, I mean, 
it was a little atypical uh, single divorce guy going back to his lonely, dark uh, apartment. I don't know yeah. if it was house or not, but it was a little cliche. But uh, he's going to eat McDonald's. his sandwich or yeah, McDonald's or whatever. And he's listening to the news. And what he had said to Krista was about how he had proxied his uh, IP address from this other country. And then they mentioned that country in the news saying that that's one of the countries that's falling apart now because of this. And I think he's starting to, he kind of feel like he starts to realize that this guy could be involved in this and mm-hmm. he's in way over his head. Oh, you think so? You think yeah, he put those think, dots I together? Yeah, I think he was putting those together. Whoa. Once I saw this part and I was like, it happened already? I didn't know how I felt because, you know, we spent all season building up to this climax of them actually doing the hack mm-hmm. and then they don't show it. They, showed it. they talk about it at the end of the last episode. He told Tyrell that it was happening. Yeah, but I thought we would running, see them do it as you know, a team. And it's encrypted and and yeah, they, they make that point a couple of times throughout the episode that Elliot wasn't there for the actual, actual execution. It's reminding you that we haven't seen that moment of truth occur. And even right into the next scene, it opens up in a parking lot and Elliot gets out and it turns out he's been parked in this car in some random lot for the past two days. You see the attendant knocking on the door and telling him he has to pay. And, you know, you find out that the credit card system went down. Another cue. Elliot realizes it's Tyrell's car. He doesn't know how he wound up there. And, you know, we're thinking, did he black out? So we're realizing that we've lost time. We've lost that critical moment due to whatever it is that Elliot's been up to. Mm-hmm. And that's when he turns to us and talks to us, the viewer, for the first time this episode. And he says, what do you remember? Wait, I don't even trust you. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, I like that. But I also like the, I heard, I was, I watched with subtitles on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get the text on the bottom and it, in the subtitles, it said, where am I twice? But I could swear that I heard him say, who am I? The first time. The first and then time say, he gets I, out yeah. of the car. And I thought he said, what am I? Uh, and both are equally provocative, yeah, you know? <laughs> well, I think he does say something different because he says, yeah. I mean, who am I? Right. So, yeah. So then we move over to what we figure out is E-Corp. And I think it's a little confusing in the beginning because we see that Angie has, in fact, took this job. But we find it a little strange that we didn't see that happen from the get-go. We know she still is new because somebody makes a comment to her and asks what took her so long to get there. Mm-hmm. I thought Remember, was, you're, you're still new. It was really fast for her to be working there. It was mm-hmm. only, I feel like it was only three, three days, days it seemed like, that we learned in the other scene. So it just didn't seem like it was enough time for her to change her whole opinion about working there. She was pretty much, it seemed like she wasn't going to do it from where we left it you yeah know? and that was the whole scene this weird thrown in clip of like oh she's at e-corp like it was just meant to tell you oh by the way she took the job right and then that was it they cut right away so i, I don't know if i like that jammed in there like that so much i just wish it would have been more of a her deciding scene yeah. or something or her checking over her father's bills or he's sick or they she needs money or Something's Seeing going on. Seeing the building for the first time. Right. Can't believe she's actually doing yeah, it. Yeah, walk and then walking in and, and talking to them like and the, and it's her first day. Not that she's late, mm-hmm. just that it's her first day yeah. and this and the whole entire place is falling apart. Yeah. yeah, something where we can 
at least get on par with where her train of thought is. Yeah. As the viewer. So we're not like, what? But again, this is probably on purpose. And I think next season we're going to get flashbacks of what happened during the hack. Yeah. You know, they're going to kind of spill it in. I wonder if you even have someone start a new job if the company is taking that much of a turn. Unless they have a plan. Yeah, we have our own thoughts about that one there. (laughs) The next scene moves on to the arcade with F Society. Darlene asks Elliot where he's been. We realize now that he wasn't there when they executed. Elliot says to us, were you there? Did you see it? What did I do? Turns out he's been gone for three days. He looks up news reports online to find out what happened. They're talking about the global economy crisis, people wanting to join F Society and organizing protests across the city. Darlene asks if he's still seeing Mr. Robot. He thinks to himself, no, but that he needs to, and then tells Darlene they shouldn't have done this. Yeah, what do I you think, guys make of this scene? Well, as far as the... I think she said him and not Mr. Robot, but that's a, only a minor thing. Okay, I mean, um, yeah. But uh, I think we I talked about this a little last time, that I, uh, when we talked about the differences between Fight Club and Mr. Robot and how... Ed Norton felt like he felt relieved when he got rid of Tyler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Elliot feels like he needs Mr. Robot. Yep. I don't know. I don't want this to continue where he's this confused too long. Yeah. I don't know if that's where I want the show to go. And the episode itself, and maybe again, this is intentional. This is Sam Esmail who's basically doing this whole episode that I'm getting the feeling where I say that scene was jammed in there. Like it's just bringing us up to speed with what's happening with Angie. And we don't see the execution of the plan from Elliot. We have to hear about it later. It's almost as though we've woken up as Elliot, how Mm -hmm. he would feel that we've blacked out for two days. We missed all the important stuff. We don't get to see it in action. And we're almost getting bits and pieces of it, little blurbs thrown at us so we can get caught up to where he's at. Because I think the latter part of the episode starts to move into a different territory. Well, one more thing about that scene is that they keep mentioning the word execute. Yes. And they made it a point to show Darlene putting the gun in the popcorn in the, in the previous. previously on Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they say execute and they show that there's a gun there and you know that he and Tyrell were the only ones there, it <laughs> couldn't help but pop in my head that maybe he was doing more than one kind of executing Ooh. when he was in that room. Although we would, I mean, there would obviously be some more evidence in that room then, but. And there's certainly been the big question of, you know, where's Tyrell this whole episode and is, Elliot responsible? Did he kill him? Elliot's kind of, without saying that, bringing that to your attention that he's wondering that himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the main pieces of this episode. Where is Tyrell? And we asked our Reddit listeners what key questions they had after watching this season finale. And that was one question that was brought up often. It was, what the fuck happened to Tyrell? Yeah. Who is that? That was uh, Leaf on the Wind. Oh, great Firefly reference. I love that. (laughs) I love that. What the fuck happened to Tyrell? I mean, that's what I was wondering when it opened. We we got uh, Lenny and Krista, and I was like, where is Tyrell and Elliot? Why don't I know what's going on? Well, and some people were saying online, is it going to be like a Game of Thrones, throw you for a loop, where on the previously on they show 
Vengeance Stark, and then they lead you to believe he's going to come back, and then all of a sudden, oh, it was just this big ruse to get Jon Snow out into the open where we could kill him. Right. Um, are we seeing a parallel here? I kind of think, and we're rushing ahead, but the knock at the door at the end of the episode is Tyrell. He's not dead. Yeah. There's a lot more to this story. I don't mm-hmm. think they're just going to get rid of the character who has so much left in his mm-hmm. plot line and development to go. And, you know, Elliot's relationship just beginning to form with him. I don't think that's going to be it. What if they, what if he did kill Tyrell, but it is Tyrell knocking on the door? And uh, now Tyrell is part of his psyche. Wait, he's a white walker? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He's a walker. Him and Benjen formed a gang somewhere. Uh, Zero Cool 79 also mirrored that same question. Uh, He asked, is Tyrell alive? Now, um, I'm just going to jump a little bit. Because we're talking about Tyrell. Zero Cool is a hacker reference. Hackers, the movie. Yeah. Ah, yes, that's right. You're right. <laughs> the part of the episode where we have another uh, video clip of the mascot for F Society. And I think that's Tyrell under that mask. Oh, it yeah. clearly the voice sounds like it. I don't it. know. I, didn't, I wasn't sure. I, I thought originally when I watched it the first time that it was Elliot in there. Because uh, we've never, I've, or at least I don't remember ever hearing, hearing Elliot talk underneath the mask. Yeah, when but it was that Christian doesn't Slater, sound like his voice under there. You could tell when it was Christian. I thought he was maybe putting was something Darlene. into it. You know, he was a being bravado. a little bit more adamant. No, but even the way he was speaking, the things he was saying were Tyrell-ish, okay. not Elliot-ish. You know, his vocabulary, the his way mannerisms. He moved his arms. Yeah, yeah, it was very expressive, very Tyrell. See, uh, I mean, when we see the mascot, do we ever see it outside of Elliot's mind? Like, do we ever see it from someone else's point of view? Yeah, didn't we see it from Gideon's point of view when they? But, but Elliot was, was in there. the room. Yeah, but he was working on something else. When the TV came on, what were we seeing it from but Gideon's that was, perspective? That was Darlene, and he and Elliot asked Darlene to talk. Right. Right. So well, he knew it was him. But when the other times we see it, we hear. I hear Christian Slater. Yes, I hear oh, him he's certainly, specifically. Yes, certainly. But that's actually Elliot, right? I mean, it is and it isn't. But I, I you mean, you know, yes, it, it technically it is. Technically, him. it is. But Elliot would still hear it as Christian Slater, right? Right. right. So now that he knows that his father's dead, right, he would Could, hear it as him, as himself, it? instead of Christian. See, Slater I love, or, I love your thinking on that, and I think that's brilliant. I just feel when I look at it that it's Tyrell. Right. It just seems like him. He's taller. He's longer. Well, not only that, but if you follow Ryan's theory to, to play devil's advocate now that he's lost Mr. Robot, he's also lost his balls to do something like that's that. Well, that's that why, part of himself, you know? Yeah, I think that I think that he, he could maybe do something like that if he's following if he's just following through with the plan because he executed the plan and this was the next part of it. I think he was so that lost was this some episode. execution, though. Yeah. I wish I had... Um, some quotes about what was actually said on that message, but you know, I'll have to go back and rewatch it. It was, it was almost like I was sitting there going, is this guy serious? It's like a kid who's stepping up and trying to play the masked guy and he's overdoing yeah. it and he's overkilling it. And you're like, Oh, that's so obviously Tyrell. Th- he doesn't that. know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> he can't even do a message. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. I kind of get that. It was a little over the top. Mm. Okay. But I you never know. I mean, it, they have confused the situation a lot with what's going on lately. It could fall into my other theory of 
Elliot killing Tyrell and then taking his persona. Right. True. Now, I'm a little confused now. Did you guys say that Elliot didn't actually do it? What do you mean? The, the rest of the group did it? Because I read no, it that Elliot it. and Tyrell El- did Elliot it. Elliot did it. And the rest of the group was upset because they thought they'd be there. No. Yeah. No, they were saying we had to execute and you, you weren't here to execute. No. Like no, we had to opposite. do it without you. No? He had executed already when he went with Tyrell. I she said, she said, I went said. to go out and get you pills. And then you came here and executed without us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. I thought it, she asked him where he's been and said, you weren't there. To, you weren't there when we executed as usual. You started a mess and we're the ones that have to, stay behind to pick up the pieces and clean no, up after That's because he hasn't been there after. And he hasn't been wiping hard drives, you know, and stuff like that. Taking every, They've been taking all the wires down in there. They need to clean up. Like, okay, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that because I took that totally differently. Computers and things. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I got. I mean, I got it from last episode that he had already started executing it. Yeah, I get what you mean from the, the ending of the last episode. I had the same idea until we had that scene in the arcade with Darlene and um, even just him reflecting back to that he wasn't there at the critical moment, making it seem like there was something else that had to be done, some other command or whatever that somebody had to give and I thought Elliot was thinking, did Tyrell do it while he was blacked out? So I, I'd love to see when and if Tyrell comes back with the explanation behind his missing in action for two days is. Missing in action. Next, we go back over to All Safe, where we see Gideon. And I actually thought that he was saying goodbye to us in a way in the last episode. So I was a little surprised to see him come back. It was a short scene. The part-time CFO and friend is telling Gideon that he has to shut down the company, that it's over pretty much. Every bank is affected. They can't use credit cards. This seems like the end for him. Yeah, I feel bad for Gideon also. Thatcher on Reddit said, what will happen to Gideon and Allsafe? I mean, it's inevitable that they're going to close. And everyone's 401k is gone. Oh, yeah, that, was, that sucked. And I didn't realize that Gideon owned it. I thought he was just top dog there. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. And I, I do think that all safe could be over, but I'm starting to think this might not be the end of Gideon's story as a character. Hopefully not. He's a strong character. So does he come in as someone against Elliot or does he join up with Elliot? Or against E Corp and not like maybe not even to do with Elliot, but against the cause or whatever. Or maybe All Safe doesn't close and he decides, screw it, everything's on the way out anyway. I'm gonna try to Repair this situation. Let's go back in and try to make some kind of counter. Reverse engineers. This is what we do. Yeah, let's try to save it. So then we see Elliot looking for Tyrell. He says that he was going to stop the plan. Why did Tyrell let it happen? The way Darlene encrypted it, it would take forever to hack. So we know for sure now that all of the financial data is gone for good. Elliot approaches a woman at the company looking for Tyrell, and she says that he doesn't work there anymore. And that's when the message comes on the TV with the mask that we're not sure who's behind it, explaining what they did and talking about that it's forging a new world where people are free now, basically. That's the Mm -hmm. bottom line. I think it was a good point out for all those people that may not or are still theorizing who else could be Elliot, Mm -hmm. even though I am now theorizing, but just a different way, that... Elliot and Tyrell could be the same person, but mm-hmm. they obviously aren't starting Separate off entities. at the same person. Right. right. 
now we go back to Angie and it's starting to build with her story. We're back at, um, I don't know if it's E-Corp or some other location, but she's helping to prep for this TV interview. We get our first glimpse of James Plouffe, who is the EVP of technology at E-Corp, who snaps at Angie for moving his bag. He says it's a long day. He's not used to all the new faces, but we can tell he's suspicious and clearly guarding something in the bag. This is What's in the bag? What's in the bag? (laughs) This is where we get that one frame shot of the little disclaimer that says uh, that, you know, that this wasn't... The preceding story was fictional. No actual person or even event was depicted. Mm. Right. So, and, um, you know, because of the events that happened and because it was pushed back a week, the whole time I was thinking to myself, what... How did it relate? Why couldn't they show it last week? Something must have happened in the episode. Yep. If it was so close to that, you knew someone was going to get shot on TV pretty much. And they were setting you up for it to be this guy so closely guarding this bag to his body. And he was the only one on camera. Right. (laughs) There was also, I think, another just small important moment of... Angie stepping into this new role where she's supposed to be able to start to become bold and she's immediately shut down by this guy by a snappy comment yet again and and she's got to start learning how to come into her own personality or she's going to wind up in big trouble there at E-Corp fast. We really don't know what Angie's actual role is there. I mean, she seemed like his assistant at that point in time. I don't know what she was Yeah, she was almost like a press secretary. Right. Then we have another quick scene at the kill shelter where F Society is using this shelter furnace to burn all of their data. And they end that by setting all the caged dogs free. Yeah, I love that. I think there was a huge parallel with the Mm storyline, the main storyline, and with that part. Uh, One obvious reason is they F Society feels like they're setting the people free from debt. Absolutely, letting them out of their cages. It also parallels with the fact that now that they've set them free quote unquote now what what yeah. are these people going to do they don't have money to get anything to food right. transportation any of the essentials to live and it's the same thing if you think yeah, of freedom's it freedom's not free yeah the dogs what's they don't happen? have a home what's going to happen to them they're going to let them go yeah. are they better off out in the streets are they just going to get picked up are they going to get by another impound or another you know, kill shelter or get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, they tortured could find, worse. I mean, they're where they're in the middle of the city. So I don't know. But I, I, yeah, just be straight yeah. I think it's making you think that the option is always better though. Right. Like open the door and then the dog can choose. And, and that's kind of what Elliot has done for the people. I think and that, which way will they decide to go now? I, I mean, I see that. I, but I agree with Jason and uh, I feel like this is something that they've, I've seen a lot with animal rights activists and in other movies where mm-hmm. they go and release these animals. And then some of the, most of the time, sometimes the animals, depending on the movie, the animals attack them in some way or it goes wrong or they don't really think it th- through. I think it's more of a naivety. Like they don't, they don't, they're naive to the outcome of these actions. They're just doing it because they, they think it's wrong. And I, they're not thinking about the consequences. And Elliot's missing from that scene where I think he thinks of, he's thinking of these consequences yeah. more than they are. And Angela brings it up to, someone brings it up to Darlene that she doesn't even really, or no, it was um, her boyfriend, Cypher or... 
No, yeah, and yeah, and then she's throwing an end of the world party, and everybody else is looking very grim while she's happy, and they're like, "You really just don't get what has occurred here." And Elliot thinking the same thing that he's kind of made a mess of everything and created a monster. And I totally agree with that. But back to the dog metaphor, I mean, I think that whatever happens to them from the time they're released. That's nature taking its course, though. Right. Like, maybe that was meant to be. Even if it winds up at a bad uh, resolution, you know, it, at least that's a natural path. Whereas this is one person that's in charge of that shelter dictating the fate of all these creatures. Mm-hmm. Just like the 1% of our society dictating the fate of everybody else. So, yeah, you put right. it back in their own hands. And maybe they don't know what the hell to do with it. And maybe that's not a good solution. But um, that's something that... These people obviously have found a vein that resonates with people. We see that by everybody protesting and wanting to join in the streets. And and I, I'm very curious to see where that does go next. Do they self-destruct with that mob mentality of just, yeah, let's fight them. And then they have no idea how to do that. Um, hmm. But it, it was a very interesting as you say, like a, a short scene that could seem pointless, but drew a very a strong metaphor, a strong parallel. And then we go over to, I think, my favorite scene where Elliot comes to Tyrell's house and he's knocking on the door and he's approached by Joanna on the street. Again, with the music, there is a tense um, bass building in the background as they approach each other. Elliot lies that he was giving Tyrell advice on a hack. He says his name is Ollie. Clearly, he's not fooling Joanna for a second. That was an intense It's very intense as he's pausing so long trying to think of the right words. And she is just giving him that shit-eating grin. He does ask. Um, And she's drilling him for info. When did he last see Tyrell? Was he acting strange? You know, it's, it's really uncomfortable, the level of questioning. They're trying to get info from each other, though, too. You know, he's trying to get info from her. Yeah. As well. about didn't They're trying like, to read each other. But mm-hmm. he's so off balanced mentally mm-hmm. that he yeah. can't read her. He's just being overwhelmed by her. Right. And you she's know, it's strong. Yeah. She, she mentally overpowers him in that moment. I think, of course, Joanna speaks Danish there. She says that, remember, he's like, what? Yeah. I don't understand at the you. end. And we did some digging and we found out that it means if you did something, then I will kill you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did something like her. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if we said this before when we were talking when we were talking about Tyrell and Joanna and what they were speaking, but it seems to be that Joanna speaks Danish and Tyrell speaks Swedish. Yeah, I hadn't it realized that. It did seem like there this. was a different accent to each of theirs, and that yeah. makes total sense now. I didn't really pick it up, but uh, I, I I saw that later on or after this episode yeah. also. Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish are very similar. They share a majority of the words. Most of us can speak to each other with a bit of effort. And that came, we found that out from someone on Reddit. Yeah, similar words, different accent though. I, yeah. I could definitely tell in that one conversation they were having that was a little, little longer. Yeah, and we also have uh, another question on Reddit from Boardfest. How does Joanna know Elliot? She seemed to even know his personality switches when probing him. I think she knows what Tyrell and Elliot have done the last three days and we're seeing how much he remembers. So that's how Boardfast uh, remembered it. I don't know if I saw it that way. Mm, yeah, me either. I think it's an she was digging to see theory. what was going on. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting theory. I think she can sniff trouble a mile away, and Tyrell's been gone, and um, 
she could just tell the situation's fishy and she wants to get the upper hand on it. I just yeah. think her overall hotness puts a lot of people off guard. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Well, that too. She was looking she's, hot So she's here. used to getting, you know, people to reveal things to her. Mm-hmm. I really hope that, uh, that Elliot is Tyrell now so he can come home and see Joanna with the blindfold on and then, you know, tie her up a little and have some little fun her without her, her, her noticing that it's actually Elliot. He's, <laughs> oh, I see, I see. And he, he's a little hungry right now, Ryan. Have some pickles? Because on Elliot, there's a, nice. <laughs> there's, on, on Reddit, there's a, a link to oh, this yeah. Joanna. Thirsty. The actress <laughs> who plays Joanna. What's her name, by the way? Stephanie... Uh, what is it? It's uh, Cornelius and mm. there's pictures of some provocative. Uh, oh, I'm sure. So Ryan's a little hungry right now. I'm yeah. sure that's been. She looks good. Highly looked up on the internet. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't even look. I didn't even think about it because I'd never seen her before. So I was curious if these, if the pictures that they posted there were. Uh, were taken because of her role in Mr. Robot or if they had maybe come out before she had gotten the part in Mr. Robot? She reminds me a little of Adriana Lima. There's some kind of like the eyes, the lips, slight resemblance. Have you also noticed that she's progressively wearing... Let me look at the pictures if I can see if you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Have you noticed that she's progressively wearing more and more makeup every episode? Like she's wearing a... She was wearing scene, a ton of makeup. There's in this a lot, scene, but yeah. also we've been seeing her for the most part at home or in the hospital after just giving birth. I, I feel like this might be the first time we saw her out and about okay. on the town, so to speak. So I, I think I just maybe chalked it up to that. But it, it's a good note. Someone brought that up about Angela that she's wearing more and more makeup oh, as yeah? the series goes on. But uh, I, I don't really know I if don't that's see that. true. She always had that thick eyeliner, those big eyes. The next scene is the scene, the TV interview with James Plouffe. He starts out with his speech by saying that the White House is going to protect everyone's money. The public doesn't need to worry. The person interviewing him says, well, haven't the data and online backups been destroyed and they lost something like $400 billion that day? And the guy finally cracks and says that she's right, that his life and pension and savings are gone as well, and nobody knows how to fix it. Basically, it's impossible. Then they pan to Angie, and she can see this guy breaking. She begins to approach him, but it's too late. He pulls out the gun out of the bag and shoots himself on the camera. Everybody calm down. Everybody in the background uh, was freaking out. They they were all talking about how they've got to stop him because this was not the way this scene was supposed to go. Of course, he's supposed to... Yeah, I, I think they were just freaking out, though, because he went so far off yeah, they were, script. He was it seemed to do like damage she control. was the only one that actually noticed there was danger mm-hmm, about right. to happen. And I, I don't know. I found it interesting that they never show the counterpart, the girl asking the questions to this guy. Yeah, the they interviewer. They kept it very contained. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted the him. focus yeah. to be on him. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, that's when James Plouffe's life goes poof. Poof. Poof goes poof. That's so funny. By the way, yes, this is a podcast. We're getting silly. This is no commentary, obviously, on what happened in real life. And we were very sorry to hear about the real tragic events. But as we know, this was not an intentional comparison in the show. And just for show purposes, the way we're talking about it for Plotline, this was a very 
intense and important scene to be in there. Yes, um, and this is a light podcast. That's why I'm doing that. Mm. Also, any uh, reactions that I had was completely relinquished because commercials came on right after. <laughs> <laughs> Always pulling the, you out of the scene. Yep. Then we move over to seeing Angie sitting alone, looking distressed, and Mr. Price comes up to her. He said he's heard she's leaving for the day, and he just wanted her to know that he's making himself available. Hey, he's he, so nice at first. Yeah. He says he knows that she was Terry's reference, and that Terry is rarely impressed by anybody, as though he's challenging her to impress him. He also says that since she's new to the PR department, she should attend this press conference later today in order to learn. And that's when it shifts a little bit. She says she doesn't think she can, and he makes the nasty statement about, you know, giving her a check to go get some new shoes because she's not dressed appropriately. It was cash. Those shoes won't do. Or cash, sorry, cash. $100 bills. Yes, cash. Those shoes won't do anymore. But I loved her reaction to her him asking her to come to the press conference and i'm thinking at the time like yeah i don't think she really wants to do any more of these press conferences anymore yeah, just after that one. day <laughs> i mean it's so clear that it's like oh i'm trying to be nice and maybe you should come to learn but you actually have to come and you need to hurry up and impress me because we only took you because of what terry said and i want to see what he sees in you. And by the way, you're not looking the part so far, so go fix yourself up and start being useful. And she straight up says, In some way, shape, or form. No. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, but you get a little bit more of his his coldness. In the second scene. In this, no, in this, oh, in this I mean, one? in this one too, just oh, his whole reaction is very cold. And the other scene we see him in is when he fires Tyrell. Mm-hmm. I mean, also when well, he talk, that, the yes. first scene we see him in is when he tells Tyrell that he's not getting the position. I guess he is a little where cold he switched in that scene the also. same way in both conversations. It yeah. started out seeming like he was trying to empathize and be nice, and very quickly went to, "But this is the bottom line." Right. It's obvious that the niceness is his mask, and yeah, you know, he but really doesn't. Mask. Yeah, he doesn't even try. He to doesn't mask. veil it so well. Yeah, and <laughs> as a CEO, he's just got to get down to the point. This right. is business. You don't get that high in that kind of company by being a nice guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice guys finish last. Now we go back to the parking lot where Elliot goes back to the car. He's talking about how he woke up in what's clearly Tyrell's SUV with the world falling apart. He says he knows this looks bad, but there must be some explanation, and he starts looking for clues. This is the scene we play a clip of where he's looking for the USB in the sunglass and the music case. Comes. And the music starts up, at, at which point he actually yells to Mr. Robot to come out, and he says, I'm waiting for you. When he opened the trunk, yeah. I was waiting for Tyrell's body to be there. I, uh, I have another trunk episode. <laughs> <laughs> With the whole scene, I just I just didn't like how he said that maybe Mr. Robot made a mistake, and then he found these glasses up there, which, to me, that doesn't seem like a mistake. Like, it's like him messing up and leaving glasses there. It seems like... It was planned. Him, maybe a part of Elliot, planning a clue for himself and not really, uh, you know, a mistake on Mr. Robot's part. Well, there's a few things. At first, I thought it was Tyrell's. Yep. Because it's Tyrell's car and he, like, hit it. Or that it wasn't his, but he did put it there. Yeah. But then... 
I yeah, remember I, that it's 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 Mr. Robot's glasses. Those are the glasses he wears. Oh, okay. Yeah. We can just breeze right past the next part because we already talked about the scene in the arcade where Darlene is passing out flyers for the end of the world party and everybody else is looking grim where Elliot has disappeared again and they're left cleaning up after him. Then we switch over to Elliot in what looks like an internet cafe, maybe? Yeah. Or something uh, like that. Yeah, that's what I thought. And okay. um, you had to pay for time on oh, the internet. Right, yeah. yeah, and he's opening up the USB drive and kind of saying if Mr. Robot knows the password, then so does he. And we see that it's a video of Elliot actually falling off the pier that he's alone. Now, do you, I mean, do we think that Elliot had someone t- filming him or he set up a camera at that point? Or I was wondering if maybe it was Tyrell that had followed him and then taken the video. And, and, and that's what Tyrell, when Tyrell said, I know, I know your secret. Mm-hmm. Right. I was thinking that too, yeah. but no, I think it was a, a kids filming each other doing yeah, Ollie's. And he was uh, in the background. Right. And he was in the background because it says Ollie fail or skateboard right. fail. Right. But how did he get that Pure footage fail. then? He just hacked into one of the Boardwalk kids. Boardwalk fail. Boardwalk fail. Well, that we don't know. And the other question is. Up on YouTube, maybe. Elliot yeah. already knows that his father wasn't really there. So what, it's not like Mr. Robot trying to give him a clue to, to let him know that Mr. Robot's not real because he right. already knows. Right. So what's the point of that? What's the meaning? Uh, yeah. I think the point follows immediately after when he starts trying to figure out, you know, he can't call Mr. Robot up. He can't bring him back. He's been trying to, to get him for a while now throughout the episode. And that's when he realizes he has to get himself arrested and he starts to try to call the police to confess. And that's when Mr. Robot appears. So yeah. it's, it's like he needs a push the same way he needed a push at the pier. Okay. Oh, that's what um, you got. Oh, yeah. In order for Mr. Robot to appear, he can't just want him to, he has to need him. Okay. Right. Or Mr. Robot is like, is a protection for Elliot keeping him. Right, he has to need him. He's about to confess to the whole entire exactly hack. He needed yeah. him in that moment. Now, there's this fun, fun little fact. On Vimeo, there's a new account that has that video on there, mm-hmm. and the account name in Vimeo, in real life, is Skater904. So S K eight R nine zero four at Gmail. Okay. So that, so and that Vimeo that Vimeo account was created last week, oh, okay. and all it has is that video that Elliot sees, and if you email Skater at Gmail, and I tried this, you get a code back. You get this sh- huge line of code. I'll show you here. I can't say it because it's so big, <laughs> and I don't know what kind of code this is. So, um, listeners, if you haven't tried it already, just email Skater S K eight R nine zero four at Gmail. And just put like. Mr. Robot, this is what I wrote. Subject line, Mr. Robot. And in the, in the body, I put, um, hello, friend. And mm-hmm. that's what I got back. Okay. So I'm waiting. I'm going to keep checking the internet, see if someone breaks that, see what it is. Maybe it's the key. Now we're back at the cafe with Elliot and Mr. Robot. It's the first time that Elliot is fully able to see reality. We see the camera panning away from Elliot's point of view, almost to an outsider. And Elliot is against the wall, choking and yelling at himself. People in the cafe are looking at him like he's crazy. Elliot presses Mr. Robot, where is Tyrell? Mr. Robot answers, you forget, kiddo, I am you. 
Elliot tries to deny that, but Mr. Robot basically proves it when he walks up to a customer and instigates him until he punches him in the face and Elliot falls down with the black eye, at which point Mr. Robot says, I'm only supposed to be your prophet. You're supposed to be my god. That was a great line. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very meta. Yeah. Yeah, what did you guys think about that? I mean, it really was kind of the first time that he was able to step back. And we're even seeing that in the camera angle, that it's not from Elliot's point of view. It's almost like we're a customer inside of that cafe and watching him where normally we would see both figures on the screen. It's just Elliot and he's grappling with that reality. He's just standing there choking himself. Yeah. <laughs> I love how they kind of have, they have Elliot skipping around like they're doing these cuts in that move him over very quickly, not in a fluid motion. Oh, those jumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah those, oh, those were mm-hmm. crazy. They do that a few times. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, what do you think about the prophet God relationship? Yeah, I wondered about that too, you know, as though the part of him that's manifesting as Mr. Robot is so much less. But it is a cre- it's a creation of Elliot's mind, right? Yeah, so that's what God I mean. God is creating, I mean, as a God, he's creating right, his like world. You're, you're seeing Elliot as though he needs Mr. Robot. He can't right. do it without him where he's saying, no, you're the God, I'm just the prophet. Right. Um, but later on in the episode, he talks him into the fact that he does need him. Right. So I, I was a little thrown off by that. Well, if you want to talk to the people, you need to use your prophet, right? If you're a god, uh, you can't dir- like talk that. directly to the people. Hmm. That's a good point. And Elliot certainly does not like this role that he's found himself in of being the god. I think he would have liked to seen Mr. Robot be the one that right. was going to take all the action and now that it's actually on him he's really struggling with that but i I would love to hear what the listeners think about that because he doesn't want to be the bad guy now we go over to the press conference where mr price approaches angie saying he's glad she reconsidered you have questions i'm a person with a lot of answers especially right now she wonders why he's so confident that he will get through this when everyone around him is worried and he says that it's just people behind this whole event Matters like this tend to crack under the weight of which he's referencing the largest financial conglomerate that he's running. He also tells her that he finds her refreshing, young and bold. It almost feels like there's a companionship building, but then she sees the picture of Ploof, the guy who died, and everything starts to change. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Price starts talking about what the guy was like and, and pretty much coldly breaks down his weak character, saying that everyone's better off without him. Yeah, he just changes his whole persona again. Like, I was almost starting to like him for a second, too. And she absolutely was starting to like him. Yeah, it almost seems like she was attracted to him sexually. It it seemed like she was giving him these uh, wanting eyes. eyes. Yeah, hungry eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that attraction was more to the charismatic part of his personality, the powerful person that was coming out. And then also the fact that he was talking about seeing that in her too, that she's bold and you know, that, that potentially they could do things together. I think Angie has been searching for that since the beginning of this season, um, turning to the lawyer to try to find a cause bigger than herself, looking for help from Elliot. 
she hasn't been able to find it in anything. And perhaps, like he said before, like Terry said to her before, she could change things from the inside. And maybe that's what she's thinking in looking at Mr. Price, that he is the way to do that. But it's so clear they really drive home the fact that the way he describes this guy is over the top, cold and crushing. And immediately you just see her face fall and you're, you're feeling that sort of loss mm. from her. Right. I mean, yeah, he basically, he says the world's better off without this guy in it. Even so, his family, even everybody his family is it was off. like way, way harsh. So but cold. before that, I, yeah, I too was starting to, to like him. I'm like, he's super, he's very confident about his future still. Charismatic. Um, I guess when you're, when you have that much power yeah, and this happens a lot with, CEOs of corporations, they kind of just bounce around from like failure to failure to failure. I mean, and they're not, they're never affected by the actual failure. They still get another job. Right. And it's all about them networking. It, yeah. And I, I got the impression though, when he was talking, I was like, wow, this guy is overconfident. He doesn't realize the, the actual magnitude of what has happened here. And then of course there's that extra scene at the end that we'll go to later that, that made me switch around on that. But at this point in time, I was like, this guy, you know, maybe he's right in normal situations, but he doesn't even know how right. screwed he is right now. Well, I love what he said, which was, um, these are just humans. It's not right. an alien. It's not a monster that came. These are humans. Yeah, a it's human still something this. I can control. Well, it's still something I can twist and get the people right. back because it's not s- some entity that no one knows about and that are really going to fear. I agree. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's yeah. going to play on the fear the same way, really, that the other guys did, but in the other way, in the opposite way. And it just leads me again after his dark side shows to wondering what the hell are they doing with Angela? And that question also is asked on Reddit from zero cool 79. What is Price's hidden motivation for hiring Angela? Mm. He must have some reason leverage on Elliot. And then Tokyo dog said beyond the usual question is evil corp CEO using Angela to punish Elliot. So, you know, we still have yet to find out what this motivation from evil corp yeah, well, we have our own theory, though at least at least Jason and I, Jason uh, brought this up, that perhaps Angie is purely a fall guy. They're bringing her on, and everyone's saying, why would they bring her on right when the company's falling apart? Well, the only reason that big companies like this do that is to set up a fall person that can be the scapegoat and kind of take the rap. I mean, look at what happened to Ploof and how he wound up just being the person that had to go in front of the press conference and, and try to manage it. And... You know, Terry Colby was that guy. He took the fall for the waste leak way back when, and he's putting her into the company. So is he setting up the new Terry Colby in Angie to take the fall for an even bigger scandal? That happened with GM, right? They hired their first woman CEO or something like that, or president. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had this massive defect that had been in the cars for years, and they only announced it once she became, once she was in charge. So she had to deal with all the cleanup. Well, and all the better. She used to work at Allsafe, a company that was supposed to protect something like this from happening. And if they could get some evidence on what she actually did do there with the CD and everything, if they have some shit on her, they could put her in the public eye and totally spin this whole thing around to E-Corp was the victim. And and that this is going to be anarchy and the people 
should fear that and need help. And, and I could see them spinning this whole thing well, back around. That's yeah, a good point. I forgot. All safe. And then she effectively lied about Terry Colby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Boom. So, and said that she messed with it. So she They've could got be her in a trap. And it's right. their virus. All right. safe's virus. Right. Ooh. On her boyfriend's computer. Boom. Right. Um, we already talked about the arcade scene where they're having the end of the world party. Darlene's celebrating, but everybody else looking grim. And, you know, she's trying to say everybody's free now because of them. But they she, are looking sullen and saying, well, what now, though? To the point that she's actually yelling it. And I, I think what we didn't mention before was that a random guy in the background overhears this and leaves the arcade very poignantly. Oh, I didn't see yeah. that at all. Well, I gotta it, watch again now. It wasn't very poignantly, as more timely. Um, she's screaming like, we did this. Right. You know, and she says other words that are very uh, incriminating if someone heard it. And then the guy comes out right when she walks out to look at the crowd. But he comes out kind of like bumping to the music. Mm-hmm. So that could be like he wasn't even listening or he was just trying to blend in. Yeah, it was poignant right that the camera panned to him. Yeah. Like they were trying to tell us something. Um, but I don't know if it was as much about him or about her and her, what, what's going on with F society Yeah. and that whole thing sort of breaking up that she's almost manic. And like you said before, Ryan, naive in a sense of, we said everybody free and the right. rest of the group is so grounded in reality of, well, did you even think about step two though? They did. I mean, they mentioned that they, they thought about, or even Darlene mentions it, that, uh, Infrastructure is going to fall apart mm-hmm. after that, but um, yeah, it but doesn't really feel like. Where she, do you go? She now. What is the new world? What, <laughs> yeah, what that means, and and that is really addressed in the final regular scene where we're in the streets of the city and Elliot's walking around. People are rioting, and he starts grilling Mister Robot if he killed Tyrell. He addresses us. Please, you have to do something. You have to help me. Mr. Robot says, stop talking to them. They can't help us. We have to do this just us. Now his family from his youth appears. Um, He's thinking that none of them are real. His mom and him as a kid. Not his whole family, though, which just seems weird that Darlene's not Oh, yeah, as a kid. You're right. Yeah, it was very fishy. Think about that. And, you know, Mr. Robot says, neither is who you're talking to. Is any of it real? And that's when he goes off on that really great speech not real what you are is any of it real i mean look at this look at it a world built on fantasy synthetic emotions in the form of pills psychological warfare in the form of advertising mind-altering chemicals in the form of Brainwashing seminars in the form of media. Isolated bubbles in the form of social networks. Real? You want to talk about reality? We haven't lived in anything remotely close to it since the turn of the century. We turned it off. Took out the batteries. Snacked on a bag of GMOs while we... Toss the remnants in the ever-expanding dumpster of the human condition. branded houses. Trademarked by corporations built on bipolar numbers. Jumping up and down on digital displays. Hypnotizing us into the biggest slumber mankind has ever seen. Dig pretty deep, kiddo. Before you can find anything real. Live... In a kingdom of bullshit. A kingdom you've lived in for far too long. So don't tell me about not being real. I'm no less real than the fucking beef patty in your... As far as you're concerned, Elliot, I am very real. 
We are all together now, whether you like it or not. The speech just reminds me more of Fight Club. The whole, oh, yeah. uh, everything he says is is Tyler Durden talking about their how their fathers have fucked them up in the scene in, in Fight Club and mm-hmm. what they're being pushed, these products are being pushed and being controlled. I thought it was brilliant, though. It was like Sam Esmail was speaking to us. It's like he's been waiting this whole season to talk through Christian Slater. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, if I didn't hammer it home enough, here's the thesis statement of what I was trying to tell you with this show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I love that whole scene. The cinematography was amazing. Um, just to go back to what you were saying, why wasn't his sister there? Maybe because he never remembers his sister. He never, right. ever remembers, even okay. when he's looking at her. Right. Because okay. she wasn't pivotal in that part of his life where that break happens. Um, and then also when he, as a kid, says, you'll never lose us, a kid saying that to someone could oftentimes be endearing, right? But not in this case. It was almost like a threat. You'll never lose us. We're deep within inside you. Yeah, yeah, well, and I mean, it was pushed so hard that after the speech, Elliot was reeling and he's thinking to himself, he needs to be alone. He needs to clear his mind. And that's when the whole street empties out and everything gets quiet. And you think he's really going to find himself because the end of Christian Slater's speech was that everything in the world is so fake and that it's hypnotizing us into the biggest slumber mankind has ever seen. You have to dig deeper to find something real. And so now I'm thinking we're going to get this pivotal moment of Elliot facing himself and finding that something real. But just as that's all starting to happen and clear away, Mr. Robot comes back on the screen, of course, Jumbotron. to tell him that he's not good when he's alone. And that's how they appeared in the first place. And Elliot's telling him he wants them to leave, but they're saying they can't ever leave in a very scary way and that the world is a better place because of what they did together, that he needs them, basically. And, yeah. and that's why I was questioning, you know, the difference between what Mr. Robot quoted before and what he's saying now. And is this just Elliot flip-flopping back and forth between I don't know how to do it without them, I have to do it without them, yeah, or is something else going on? Well... A few things I want to say. Uh, one, it's so weird how he's begging for, for Mr. Robot to come back. And then just scenes later, he's like, get the fuck out of my life. Right. So yeah, again, it's, it's the too wishy-washy. Much. Yeah. yeah. I got to be and, alone. And on that Jumbotron, did you see how they were arranged? It was kind of like a portrait. No. Mm. Oh, the yeah, family. Yeah, like a family yeah. picture. Yeah. And then let me sprinkle some shit flavored sprinkles into the stew we have here. <laughs> Tinfoil? Because you I, doing tinfoil? Pretty much. Because <laughs> I don't actually, what I'm about to say, I don't even believe, but I think it's interesting. What if Elliot is in a coma from falling off the boardwalk at the beach? Oh, I hate and this And this theory. whole thing is a coma. I would hate that. I, I hate would, this theory or the drug-induced right. withdrawal dreams. I don't like that at all. But what about the fact that on that thumb drive was about the fall. Right. He's able to just stop time and get everyone out of there. And... On the Jumbotron, they're speaking to him from the beach, which is from where he fell. Mm. What if this is all just the final death moments of his father? So two callbacks to the beach. Was there any other references subtly in this episode? But we could put that to the viewers that they might be trying. Yeah, if, if there's anything else. So again, I hope that's not true, and it probably isn't. That. I would it's hate too the shallow for this kind of series. Yeah, I think but it was. I just hate that in any 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 series in general when they take that kind of cop out. And I mean, I, it's been done, and it, and ever, no one's liked it. So yeah, 
I think it could be explained away just as simply by saying, you know, obviously he has breaks from reality all the time. He has moments where he blacks out. He gets confused. He's in the middle of this crowded street. He's being badgered by these figments of his psyche, and he's really having difficulty. Should I shut them out? Do I integrate them? Do they belong to me? Are we all one? It's kind of everything we've been talking about with having um, these dual personalities living inside of you and then coming to realize they're there. You either go crazy or they split back apart or you find a way to reintegrate. And I feel like that's the struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's so intense in this moment that he just blocks everything else out. And it's just him and his brain battling each other. And eventually it wins because he ends by saying what do I do? And waiting for Mr. Robot to give him instructions. And I almost feel like we've gone back to how it would have started right before Mr. Robot opened up. Mm. Like that this has happened so many times before and he won again. Like, I can't do it without you. Tell me what to do. And so specifically that he has to tell him, you're going to get on a subway. You're going to go to this stop. You're going to go to your home. And he's just regressed all the way back to that. Yeah. And Touch upon that again in a second. Before we move on, I want to uh, just state two more things. There's an image, there's a still image I found on the internet of all the people in Times Square and they're holding their signs and compromise is spelled wrong. Yeah. We do not compromise. Oh, and is I that on purpose? I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I don't think it was. That's I think not it was an, some I kind think of it was tech a, nod? A, a mistake. Yeah, because I, I, can't, I can't think of what a P would mean or what... No, com-rom, like com-rom. Computer. Yeah. Mm. Rom? No, because no. it'd be RAM. Yeah. I don't think... I don't... That's weird I if think they really did just, just mess that up. I think they just messed up, like, you know, ran They're out of space. malicious. I didn't see that one. The other thing about this scene, where I just don't even think that anyone is there at all, is everyone's in the F Society mask. mask. And it Where'd could just be this? that this, that F society. Oh, it's been on TV now for a right. while. These oh, people true. are, are people going They, they show it on TV, but he could be, you know, wherever in the middle of the night and there not be this many people out there still. It's just that he's being overwhelmed by F society. Yeah. So, right. Or there yeah. are people, but they're not wearing masks. That's just how he's seeing it. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of overwhelmed, in the scene where Elliot is being berated by Mr. Robot, if you notice, he's behind this huge lit up American flag sign and it's kind of dwarfing him. So that, of course, is overwhelming him as well. I think there's something into the details of it being overwhelmed by this huge flag, the American flag. Right. But Chris, you were talking about Mr. Robot tells him, go back, do what you do every day. Go back, get on the train that you always yep. get on. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's that old woman with that parrot again. (laughs) And we've seen that before. Yeah, what is she about? I don't know. She was in episode eight. And actually, I think I made one of our podcast cover photos using the parrot. Anyone say anything about a theory? Well, in episode eight, you'll see this this parrot. Oh, look at that above him. I didn't even catch that. Carry on with caution. (laughs) See, everything doesn't mean something, but it does. Even you just freeze all these frames and you find things. Well, look even further. Behind the parrot on the steps outside of the train is this bright yellow staircase. And the woman there is wearing the same green as the parrot. So the yellow and green. I'm telling you, That's good. it's real in this show. It's not digging That's very for, artistic for setup. tinfoil. <laughs> they, they're 
meaning everything they do. Yeah, I mean, he follows these instructions to the T, like he just couldn't even function on his own now without somebody spelling it out for him. He goes home, he starts watching the online news. We're getting a feel for everything just by reading the headlines. And it culminates with a knock on the door and Elliot getting up to answer it. And I think that's going to be the resounding question of the season is who was at the door. Who was at the door. And that question was reiterated over and over again on Reddit. Yeah, and I think I already said that I'm pretty sure that's Tyrell. What do you guys think? I think it's Tyrell too, but not I think it's Tyrell. Live Tyrell. <laughs> a man Walker Tyrell. <laughs> a man without Zombie fear Tyrell. says I wonder if it was Tyrell himself. It's gotta be and, and it Who was else would very it be? hasty knock. But but Vera. But you know what? Angie. There's one thing that Michael. would make Darling. me think Lenny, I mean. <laughs> it's Gideon. Krista. Sorry. Go ahead. I think it could be. It could be Lenny. Uh, Going after him again. It's a little far. It's could be Krista warning him. That I doubt. It could mm. be Darlene, but she was just out off having a grand old time at the end of the world party. So. Yeah. I think there. I think it's Tyrell again, but there's only one reason why I think it might not be Tyrell, and I will reiterate that reason once we talk about the final scene. Yeah, so that was it for episode proper scenes. Then we got our bonus extra scene, which we had a lot of theories on this. We thought it could be something that was actually going to come up on the internet, some sort of cool thing on the whoismrrobot.com website. Um, but it's just a scene, a really meaningful one seemingly a limo pulls up to a mansion a man gets out and we realize shortly in that this is white rose he meets mr price they have a conversation where mr price says he knows the person responsible and will handle him as they usually do whereby white rose gives an anecdote about the fall of rome (sighs) so this is what i mean they know about it do you think mr price and evil corp already abducted tyrell Oh, I took the the person responsible to be Elliot. You think they would think it was Elliot? But Tyrell was the one... Oh, there it is. Who was in their their line of sights. Yeah, I could see that, but I don't know. It just... Oh, that's the feeling I got from it. I, I'm not sure. So in Reddit, it was asked, I think the CEO of Evil Corp thinks Tyrell did the hack because he gave the order to turn CS30 from a hunt from a honeypot into a real server that allowed the hack to open. Yeah, I mean, it could be uh, Tyrell uh, that, they're, that they're after because of that. It does lead that way. Um, it also leads to Gideon, though, right? He had set up the honeypot. Yeah, but he set it up for the right reasons. Right. Yeah, and, and what does what they usually do mean? I mean, it's so sinister. What are they planning for this person? But from talking with you guys, I think that it's Angie. That that she's the uh, one. Yes, yeah. that could very easily sure. be with... Uh, see, now I see the angle that Mr. Price is coming from, and I could see it being Angie from his point of view. I'm still so unclear about White Rose. I mean, from the beginning, I said, is he supposed to be a real transgender person in this TV show or is he just in disguise? And now it's looking like maybe he was just in disguise because he shows up to this meeting as a man. So number one, we still don't have a very good handle on who he is, what he's after. And I got the feeling from his expressions in this meeting that Price thinks he's in on it, but he's not. 
that right. he definitely right. has his own agenda. But I don't think he could go in there as trans. You know, I don't think he could be himself in that atmosphere. So that's who he really is, and this is his disguise? This is his disguise. Yeah, I think so, too. Either way, though, I mean, he's he's got layers, and we're not seeing fully what's going on with him or what his motives are, and I think he's playing Price. Yeah. I think Price thinks they're in on it yeah. together. But but what is his, watch his angle, off. then? Yeah. What is White Rose's angle? Well, he talks about another country. Fuck, I'm forgetting the country. Rome? No, no. Before that, he's talking about when are we going to move on? This is, I know you're in turmoil, but this is delaying what we have in store for c- the Congo or something like that. Mm, I don't remember. Yeah, the speech that he makes to Mr. Price in that scene about Nero was very poignant, where he says that he was playing the liar while watching Rome burn. And so this is obviously supposed to be a parallel for American society and what's happening right now, the fall that F society has created. But who is it in this metaphor that's standing back and playing the liar merrily while everything's burning around him? Well, Price says he wants to just sit back and listen to the music. Right. Is that supposed to be him? I think so. And is that his judgment on him? And what is White Rose saying? I mean, I think that's still at the end of this season, my biggest question mark, this character and what he's up to. I like the fact that they the instrument is called the liar, and I don't know if mm, they're all liars yeah, or not, yeah, or if they're lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. Also, I was wondering, maybe the watch going off is for the more casual fan. We knew that it was DB Wong, you know, studying it. Oh. We knew who it was, mm-hmm. well, maybe and didn't. Danny didn't recognize him. Uh, someone else I work with, Danny, oh. he was talking to me, and he didn't recognize DB Wong. In there, he didn't know that they were the same person. Okay, and they so didn't call maybe White Rose. The so wristwatch going off oh, okay. is just, just to a, call that's back. Me. Well, I think it could be double because so many things are double in this show. So for the casual fan, this is him. And for the deeper level, um, that this is the kickoff of whatever his plan was. And we're not going to see that until episode two. I mean, in, right. until season two, rather. Rainbow Unicorn uh, said, still got chills because of the awesome pre-ending scene the ending scene got me confused because Nero wasn't the guy burning Rome and I totally misunderstood the reference any hints so no it wasn't the fact that Nero was the guy burning Rome it was that it was being it was played that melody was played when Rome was burning right that Nero was the one playing the instrument and watching Rome burn right yeah I don't know if it was literal yeah, it was more uh, representation. Like it was just the, the world is about to burn, or even with um, with Nero himself. Yeah, Nero, well, th- yeah, Nero d- didn't so much matter. It could be a parallel to to Price, but yeah, obviously the the connection to what's happening in society. But I was thinking uh, maybe he's making a statement about himself as well here, because there's guys like Price, right, who are sitting back. Oh, isn't this everything's going to be fine? Isn't this a big joke that the world is burning, quote unquote? But I'll still come out on top. Whereas White Rose is taking it more seriously and saying, "Oh, you think so? You think I'm on your team? You think you have all these things under control? But you don't know the wild cards that that play underneath." And perhaps. White Rose's plan 
was to utilize somebody like F Society to cause the initial chaos, a group that just wanted to take the big bad down but had no plans for phase two. Maybe White Rose was thinking farther to phase two because there is going to be a very definitive power vacuum created now and people in chaos and anarchy. And perhaps he has goals on, if not a position of authority outright, something that he's going to benefit from when the next step comes along. Yeah, he seems like, obviously, someone who plans ahead. He schedules his time very wisely. So, right. And he's yeah. known about he this doing. plan and has been working with F Society from the Dark Army side all along. So yeah, he's he's watching. must be prepared for what's going next. And maybe that relates to the Congo line. Yeah, he's uh, watching all these people almost like move their pawns out mm-hmm. when he's already thinking about how to capture the oh, king yeah. 10 spaces mm-hmm. down the board. And he's seeing all of that, the Congo, right. whatever else is happening, how it all fits together at the end. So so do you think White Rose next season will be still be the quote unquote good guy to us or turn and be the bad guy? Well, I never mm-hmm. saw him as definitively good. I don't know about you guys. I saw him as a wild card. Yeah, I kind of saw him as on their side, but had his own game. Mm-hmm. So like, we'll work together as long as we have a common goal or a common right. enemy. But I'm really out for my own at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And and we don't know what that own is. So until we find that out, we're not going to know if he's good or bad. But I think it's got to be better than Price. I, I'm I I like. The taking the E-Corp down idea, but yeah, it can't just be a whole left after either. So I'm curious for anybody who has farther thinking plans than that. And um, I'm not too sure E-Corp's taken down. This guy's still so confident. There's got to be something we don't know. Well, I think he's got plans and there might be things we don't know, but I also think he's overconfident. I think he's not planning on the strength of people like Angie or the the tenacity of people like Elliot and a group like F Society, um, the craziness of somebody like Tyrell. He thinks they're people he can just control, but at the end of the day, he couldn't control Elliot, and he didn't see Elliot coming. So I have a question. What else would happen in society once credit was gone, once it was erased? What would be the ramification? I think that could go into a whole other huge conversation, but I, I think so too. You That's know, why. I think it, it it affects everything because of the way our society is. Yeah, and we saw snippets of that being alluded to here. That you know everything is built upon that, and there is no real financial backup. It's all fake. And so you take away the fake facade and what have you really given people, you know, that's perhaps better than nothing. And then that's where they're going to wind up. Well, people have places to live because of credit, you know, mortgages. mortgages. Right. Right. And the money in the bank is really a loaning system. That's a bunch of numbers that's on a computer. Your money's not there. So, um, I don't know if that's going to be explored any, any deeper in season two, or if we're just going to go to following a different plot line. I definitely think it'll be addressed more in season two. Yeah. It's going to have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see Elliot hopefully win out over the struggle with the psyche because it does seem like a big regression at the end of this season for him. Um, I'm still having a lot of questions about Darlene 
that I don't think have been resolved and how she fits into Elliot's past. We've seen Elliot go through a lot this season. He joined slash started the underground hacking group F Society. He found someone to connect with, um, broke a man out of prison, lost his girlfriend, struggled with addiction. Uh, he's dealing with a serious a mental illness that made him forget his sister as well as hallucinate or act as his dead father. Among a multitude of other things, jumped off a, a pier and out a window. Off a pier and a window. <laughs> what else can this guy go through? Yeah, you know? I want him to prevail in something next season, even if it's a little thing. I need to feel like he's prevailing. And yeah, and to find himself without the crutches that he's been leaning on to, to integrate that back into his personality and become. Not a happy-go-lucky person like he dreamt about earlier on in the season, but a more complete, confident person. Um, I like journeying through his difficulties, and I think it's real. But like you said, we always want the person we're rooting for to kind of have some successes. And even the successes he has here are so stripped from us because of the way he grapples with them and mm-hmm. the, the implications that they have. So it's really hard to ever feel good for him. Um, right. But as, as viewers also, um, we can root for, well, we can root for the protagonist even when we know they're evil. I mean, like House True. of Carb- sure. Cards, you know, yeah. Frank Underwood's is the villain yeah. in the story mm-hmm. and you still him. root for him in his, in his scenes. Yeah, and, and we see the badness, you know, the parts of that in Elliot, but I don't think we ever think of him as the villain in the story. No, no. He might think of himself that way, and maybe that's all the more endearing to us, you know, how hard he is on himself. But well, I, I think this has been an absolutely groundbreaking show. I think that it's something very different. I... I so often think that what's on TV and movies are just rehashes and rehashes. And I I got the feeling early on that this could be like that, but it had so many original things. And the longer it went on, the clearer it was that they were doing something very fresh here. And I applaud them for that. I can't wait to see where they go next season. I agree. Yeah. This is going to be talked about for years, like breaking bad. And I mean, the performances have been unbelievable. unbelievable. So, even award worthy. Yeah. yeah. What's great. I can't wait. First of all, and it sucks that we have to wait, but we have game of Thrones before that as a buffer to keep us interested. And we have a buffer. <laughs> Let me not come no, over no, there and knock you out. She's sitting in her house, Targaryen shirt. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing beats game of Thrones. Except for but I mean, bad. like there's things that happen in between. Oh yeah. We're coming to. into Walking some Dead great TV. Coming. Um, in the, if, and I'm wondering how the hell they're going to top this. But in an interview with the Huffington Post, Sam Esmail has stated the debut season of Mr. Robot was more of a precursor to what's to come next season. I don't even consider what we're doing this season to be that huge. It was just the setup for the real story, which really begins next season, which would have been act two out of our film. Nice. Mm. I like it. Fight yeah, Club I was, was going to say, given the fact that he was writing it in that way, straight off the bat and not for TV, it makes a lot of sense that this would not be where the action is at. If he didn't change much in transitioning it over to a television show, mm-hmm. this would all just be build up and character setting. So 
um, I tend to believe that. And based off his strengths thus far, a writer, a creator, a director, I mean, he's just blown. I think everybody. I haven't heard one person not be impressed by this show. Yeah, my friends. They, some of my friends don't like it. Oh, well, forget them. <laughs> they probably don't like Game of Thrones either, huh? Oh, uh, no, they like that. <laughs> okay. They're all right, They're all then. Right. That's fine. <laughs> well, that concludes this year's and this season's of CKC Mr. Robot episodes. We're going to figure out what our next show is going to be. We're thinking about doing Fear the Walking Dead. Um, we might do Doctor Who. I don't know yet. Maybe we'll base it off a poll if we get enough people, enough listeners who would like to write in and vote for what they would like to hear an episode review on. Um, we can put maybe a couple of options out there and um, see your responses to that. We're definitely going to have some um, regular CKC podcasts in between where we can talk about things like that, even if it does relate to TV, just um, go a little further in depth. We did promise some additional Game of Thrones stuff. Um, we might throw in a random football review, maybe a little talk about the Jets. But as far as a structured um, episode review for a television show, we have been thinking about something else for a while, perhaps Fear of the Dead. But um, any other ideas, let us know. You should do a fantasy podcast. Email Email us at the address contact at CKC podcast. So until next time, this round is on me. (laughs) 